This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Hard to believe we're coming to the end of another trading week. We've got some weakness in the markets here to wind things down. We're going to talk with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here in just a moment about what's developed in the commodity trade and uh, I guess what's happening in the outside market. Saw some jobs data this morning that's got some traders rethinking how they are putting their money to work in this economy. And then in segment two, we're going to speak with Aaron Shire. He's a senior government relations representative with the National Farmers Union is going to talk about their take on the Inflation Reduction Act, that uh, compromise bill from Senator Schumer and Senator Manchin. Uh, we're going to get the NFU's take on that. And then in segment three, Mark Stock, president of Big Iron Auctions, will be joining the show. They've recently made a big move uh, there in the auction space. We're going to talk about why they're making that move right now and what they expect to see going forward in the world of agriculture. And we're going to close the show this week by talking with Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, about what to expect as this next heat wave bears down across much of the countryside. Before we get into all of that, though, folks, let's get a rundown on what's developing here in the commodity markets. To do that, Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing joins us today. And Dwayne, seeing some weakness develop overnight in the soybean complex. Any piece of news there that's moving the market or are we just selling off a little bit? I think a couple of pieces of news. The biggest one overnight was uh, the China-U.S. tensions going escalating a little bit, as you could say, um, putting some sanctions on Nancy Pelosi, which I'm not even sure what that really means, other than she's not supposed to come back, I guess. <laughs> so those tensions are definitely there. Um, but yesterday, you know, there was rumors that China was in buying U.S. beans, and the, the interesting part of that rumor is they were the rumor had us them buying old crop beans, which would be interesting because we don't have a lot of old crop beans left, and that would create a pretty tight situation in a bullish market yesterday. This morning, we got confirmation of the USDA flash sale, but there were two sales, but they were both um, new crop. Uh, one of them was confirmed to China, the other one was to unknown, so we're going to assume they're both China, but they weren't old crop. And honestly, new crop sales are great, Mike, but there's also plenty of time to cancel those sales too. So uh, it's not as bullish as yeah. we were hoping yesterday. You know, that's a really good point. China is known for doing that every now and again. Dwayne, I want to ask you, we've had a, a bit of an upset in the economic thinking this morning. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released the jobs numbers for the broader economy, and they came in much stronger than anticipated. How do you think that's going to change the flow of managed money here in the commodity sector? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to figure out here. It seems like the managed funds have been just kind of sitting on their current positions for the past couple of weeks, and that's created a sideways chart pattern in corn and soybeans both, and a little bit in wheat too, forming a bottom there. Uh, I don't think the funds get active our markets, even with these positive outside economic news for a couple of months yet. So I look for that sideways pattern to continue. And the biggest reason is, you know, they're not going to get confirmation of, of much demand for 2023 for a couple of months yet. And, and still, obviously, U.S. supply is a little bit unknown yet for a few more weeks, but we're sure narrowing down the range of this crop size here quickly. And Dwayne, you said something very interesting. You said we're nearing a bottom here in the wheat market. Do you think we've kind of <laughs> forced a lot of this uh, this war premium out of the market now maybe starts to trickle back in? Yeah, no, I, 
I think so. I think it should. No, I really love the chart pattern in wheat. And, you know, wheat led this rally, you know, was the first to actually fall down. And I think corn and soybeans have kind of been falling in wheat. And and wheat, I think, is the first one that's going to form its nice harvest low here like it seasonally does. Um, I'm not ready and convinced to say we're going to go flying higher, but I am bullish that wheat market this winter. You know, we rallied too far too fast and we rationed some demand. But down here at these prices and still the unbelievable issues we're going to have with the Ukraine supply will leave us short some wheat. So I think we got a rally coming this winter. So yeah, I, I can comfortably say we're, we're at a very close low in the wheat market here. All right. And then if that wheat market should start to turn around, I imagine, Dwayne, you see that pressure spilling over to, to provide some tailwinds here in the corn market. You're exactly right. Uh, yesterday, for the first time, started hinting at a few producers that maybe it's okay to lift some hedges on a dip back below $6 again. Um, you know, really like the trade action yesterday. I thought maybe it was fun buying, but today it maybe looks like it wasn't. But boy, it was sure some nice bullish trade action. And, you know, I don't think the funds are going to liquidate out of those last 100,000 contracts that they're long corn. Now, I, like I said, I don't think they're going to jump in and buy here, so I'm not an outright bull. But I, I think, you know, maybe that 562 of a harvest low is going to hold in these corn. Uh, maybe we test it again, but anything below six, I think you can just step aside and then. My plan would be exit the short hedges and then store the grain on farm and uh, see what happens this winter a little bit. That is the question. What's coming this winter? Dwayne, let's turn our focus quickly over to the livestock markets. Have you seen much cash trade develop here for fat cattle? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm hearing the up to 135 to 138 in the south, which is maybe just a little bit better. And and not a lot of trade in the north yet, but uh, around that 140 to 142. And then, of course, a few private sales you hear every once in a while, like 144 to 146, so sharply higher. Uh, pretty strong market in general. And, and the futures market trades like it's strong, too. August will go into delivery Monday night, so really August should be supported in that 137 area and could end higher uh, with those kind of cash values and still looks like a strong market we're still killing a lot um, but I think maybe slaughter's high because maybe we're bringing up some of the kill cows from the southern plains where the drought is just very extreme and causing even more herd liquidation probably yeah I've heard that fear expressed by a number of folks who look at the cattle market and they go gosh it's just it's not getting cleaned up down there that that drought and so we're still seeing liquidation as you look out Dwayne looking into 2023 I see Feb live cattle at 154 it's a 17 18 premium to where we're at today is that a hedging opportunity next spring or do you see additional strength coming here once we kind of get through this recession will it won't it happen type fear Right. Uh, that's a wonderful question. Well, I, I, the, the risk manager in me is supposed to say, yeah, yeah, we should be doing something there, buying some puts. But the trader in me says that's got some upside to go. So the second my producers hear, I think there's some upside, then we, we stop with the risk management and we, we hold off and wait for higher prices. I, I do think it can get a little bit higher. You know, you get close to that 160, though, and then I'm going to start to push a little bit harder on some put options just because it's, it's money we haven't seen in a while. But these feeder cattle are so expensive to put in the feedlot we almost need a 162 to break even for some of them. That's a great point. You know, thinking of this corn crop that's out there, Dwayne, I've heard, heard and seen some stories on Twitter of uh, South Dakota producers just chopping corn. They're throwing in the towel. Those choppers are running. Uh, could we see substantial reductions to harvested acres in South Dakota? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's bad where it's bad, uh, and it's the far southern part of the state, southeast part of the state, which is normally one of our higher yielding areas, but they, they just continued to miss the rains. And you can see it in the drought monitor if you take a look at that from the update yesterday. There's a red spot down there. And, yeah, the cutters are going to be running down there, sadly. Even if the rains do hit tonight, it's a little too late for some of it. But for the vast majority of the state, it's a pretty good-looking corn crop, especially when you head further west when they're not supposed to raise a lot of corn. It looks really good out there it's all who got and who didn't get the rains as we were heading into this growing season tough challenge for a lot of folks out there but some opportunities in the markets Dwayne bussy bolt marketing always appreciate your insight Dwayne. thanks for joining us today yeah thanks guy and folks stick around we're going to talk with aaron shire of the national farmers union when aoa returns Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients has held several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The final tour will be in Barrett, Minnesota on Thursday, August 11th, and will feature corn and soy. You don't want to miss this exciting opportunity, and space is limited. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past week, we have seen a number of headlines generated out of Washington, D.C., because an agreement was reached between Chuck Schumer and Senator Manchin of West Virginia about some of the funding priorities in President Biden's Build Back Better proposal. Last week, they came together. They released the Inflation Reduction Act, a measure of spending and tax policies, and it has been making the rounds in D.C. Groups are getting their hands around what this proposal would include and whether or not it'd be worth passing. Joining me today to discuss this bill is Aaron Shire. He's a senior government relations representative with the National Farmers Union. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Glad to be here. Let's start first with the bill in Congress. As it stands today, Aaron, where is this bill sitting? Does it look like it's going to make it to the vote phase? Yeah. So the big wild card on this bill still as of yesterday was really Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. And just last night, uh, that all changed when she announced that she will indeed support the bill, having gotten some of the modifications to the bill that she wanted. Uh, But that doesn't mean that everything is really settled at this point or that there's an entirely crystal clear path. Um, Budget reconciliation is a little bit of a challenging and complicated process. And it still needs to cross some other hurdles, especially uh, folks might have heard about this issue of the Senate parliamentarian needing to rule on whether parts of the bill can be included or not. And that's still all uh, still ongoing. But the expectation is for the bill to hit the floor this weekend, probably Saturday. Uh, That doesn't mean a final vote right away. You know, first of all, they got to vote on a motion to proceed. Once they do that, it sort of starts a clock, and um, some of that time is going to need to expire. And then, just to make things even trickier, it it kicks off what's known as the Votorama, this really intense amendment process special to budget reconciliation. But assuming all of that kind of goes well, uh, there's a good chance this thing passes the Senate. But, of course, it still needs to pass the House. So what I'd say is, you know, there's a bumpy road ahead, but with Senator Cinema from Arizona uh, sort of secure, a big, big hurdle was cleared for this bill, and it's, it's a really one big step closer uh, to a successful vote this weekend. I'm glad you mentioned the companion bill in the House. So even under reconciliation, there will need to be a House version of this introduced. Aaron, has anything like it been introduced as of yet? Great question. Well, the House did pass essentially a bigger version of this bill many months ago. So that's part of why once this sort of smaller version, the the newly introduced Inflation Reduction Act, which is a modified version of that bigger bill, uh, if that passes the Senate, which which we do expect it will, 
then basically this new version needs to go back over to the House for a vote because it is different from the previous version that passed. And this smaller version would be the one that the House would consider and, and, and likely pass. So in a sense, yes, has been introduced, but just not this version of it. That's why it's got to get kicked back on over to the House side uh, once the new Senate version passes, if that makes any sense. That does. Of course, that uh, we got to think back to our schoolhouse rock days and how a bill becomes a law. Aaron, so this right. bill uh, was proposed here a week ago. NFU already come out in support of it. There's $40 billion allocated for agriculture. Explain to me, if you would, where NFU finds things they value in this bill. What are some of the, the expenditures that, uh, that you folks are pleased with? Well, sure. First, first, I guess I'll, I'll run down maybe just a little bit what that $40 billion looks like in general, and maybe then I'll, I'll talk about what we like most about it. But of those $40 billion in the bill, there's $20 billion for Farm Bill Conservation Programs. Uh, you know, we're talking EQIP, the Environmental Quality Incentive Program, and, and other programs farmers and ranchers know well for USDA's uh, NRCS. We're also talking about more funding for technical assistance to actually get those practices through those programs on the ground. And then we're talking about $14 billion for rural power and renewable energy, including biofuels. So what does this mean? Investments in biofuels infrastructure at the retail and distribution level, uh, grants and loans for renewable energy projects uh, for uh, farmers, for rural small businesses, and about $10 billion in assistance for rural electric co-ops to help them do more clean energy projects. And then uh, also $5 billion for forestry and wildfire protection. You know, we're really excited at National Farmers Union about all of these investments, but especially those farm bill conservation programs, biofuels, and renewable energy components. And to talk a little bit about those, you know, the, in, the impact on conservation biofuels, et cetera, you know, if this bill gets across, the finish line, it's really a big deal for ag. Uh, folks might recall that this bill started off as a much bigger bill, a lot more things in it, and they got trimmed down and down. But most of the ag funding remains, um, I think, a testament to uh, demonstrating the need and the opportunity that farmers and ranchers provide in, in using this funding and, and for rural areas. So for ag conservation programs, you know, these programs are badly underfunded. Lots of producers are looking for financial or technical assistance to install conservation practices that work for their operations, but they apply and they're denied, not because they don't qualify, but because there simply isn't enough to go around. So this funding for farm bill conservation programs, um, you know, programs that have been set up through previous farm bill processes uh, can really help a lot. I think we're really excited in a few too about the biofuels components of the bill. 500 million for biofuels infrastructure, meaning grants to fund infrastructure improvements for blending storage, distribution. Um, biofuels are, are, as your listeners know, affordable, uh, more energy efficient fuel option, and really important market for corn farmers for ethanol, soybean growers for biodiesel. And so we're, we're grateful that this money will help retailers, especially farmer-owned co-ops, offset the cost of new infrastructure. Um, and lastly, those there are these new um, tax credits for biofuels in here that maybe uh, aren't getting quite as much attention because there's not a dollar figure attached in the same way, but especially the new credit for sustainable aviation fuel. That's really important for getting that, um, that industry off the ground, no pun intended, and uh, we're excited <laughs> about that. 
<laughs> That's great. Aaron, I'm, I'm curious about something that I've seen a lot from this administration, and I'd like your take on it, which is uh, references to climate smart agriculture. We saw this when the, the House or excuse me, the Senate Ag Committee released their update on this bill. They noted that 20 billion went to climate smart ag. For those of us out here in flyover country, when we hear that phrase, is that is that effectively just a, a rebranding of prior conservation programs? Or is this a new basket of practices that uh, D.C. is looking at? It's a fair question and it's a really good one. You know, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about practices farmers know and that they know work for their operations. Uh, we're talking, uh, we're talking cover crops. We're talking conservation crop rotations, reduced tillage, nutrient management, grazing management, and so on. We're, we're talking about the practices farmers have been using and, and know well. Um, this is about providing additional resources, both financial and technical, so farmers can do those practices, keep doing those practices, further those practices uh, that they know help their operations bottom lines, benefit uh, the longevity of their operations, protect the environment, help them pass their land on to the next generation in even better shape than they found it. So that's what we're talking about here. On the biofuels front, Aaron, that is something that this time in the economy really seems primed to take it. Is there any way we could push it more towards the coast? Is there any direction as to where that infrastructure spending goes? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, this is this is really about um, making it more affordable to build out that infrastructure. And um, those grant funds, exactly how they're gonna all go out once this, uh, if this bill gets across the finish line, uh, hard to say at this point, uh, how that would all be allocated and uh, that sort of that implementation phase. But I think the key is that, yes, um, it can result in some of those fuels being pushed out toward the coast potentially um, and distributed more widely. Uh, it is about that blending, that storing, that that's applying and distributing. So it has that potential to really continue to grow that industry and uh, to your point, uh, push those fuels out to new markets. Always love to see that. Aaron Shire, the Senior Government Relations Representative with the National Farmers Union. Really appreciate you joining us here and sharing your perspective. Where can folks read more about what the NFU is researching here in DC? Thanks so much for that question. We're at NFU.org um, and look us up on online, National Farmers Union, and, and you'll find all that information. Thanks so much for having me today. You bet, folks, and stick around. We're going to talk with Mark Stock of Big Iron Auctions when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, 
you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, plenty going on in the trade here on this Friday as we see the stock market along with grains, oil seeds, livestock, energies all reacting to a higher than expected jobs report for July. The economy creating 528,000 jobs, more than doubling the 250,000 that was expected by analysts. And it seems that especially the grain and oil seeds continue to be influenced by the macroeconomic factors on Wall Street where traders are convinced that we are in a recession, which will hurt demand, but also where inflation remains well entrenched. We continue to watch the issues between the U.S. and China over Taiwan. China continues military exercises around Taiwan as well as even pushing towards parts of Japan. China also bought multiple U.S. soybean cargoes overnight, according to our sources within China. Despite heightened tensions between the two countries, USDA thus far confirmed the sales of two cargoes sold to China and two to unknown destinations, which will be presumed to be China as well. 132,000 metric tons of soybeans to China, another 132,000 to unknown destinations. It is all new crop sales. Now, also, fundamentally, weather over the next several weeks is going to determine whether supply matches with anticipated demand for the coming year here in the U.S. An anticipated rain event this weekend in portions of the western Midwest is probably essential if we want to maintain hopes for that to happen. A few numbers in the trade so far today. December corn unchanged, 606 and a quarter. November beans, 13 and a half lower, 1404 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, September three and three quarters lower, 778 and three quarters. September KC wheat down four and a quarter, 856. Spring wheat, September four and a half lower, 889 and three quarters. August live cattle, seven lower, 137.62. Feeder cattle for August up 35, 179.42. August hogs down 12 higher, 120.77. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by HeartValve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. If you're like me and you consume a lot of ag media, it has been almost impossible over the past year, any day of the week, to open up an article and not see a headline about a recent price for something being set at an auction. We have seen farmers absolutely rushing out to secure the needs of, of the, the farm goods they're going to be relying on in the fall and in the spring, and they've been turning to auctions to do that, and that has made the auction space really an interesting one to keep an eye on. One guy who does keep an eye on that space, in fact, is continuing to make some waves in it is Mark Stock, president of Big Iron Auction Company. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mike, glad to be here. I wanted to have you on the phone today because earlier this week it was announced a big shakeup amongst two of the biggest online auctioneers. Mark, you were central to this announcement. What is going on with Big Iron? Well, we are excited to announce uh, uh, Big Iron and Sullivan's uh, from Hamilton, Illinois, along with their uh, group at uh, Hensland's in uh, Bird Island, Minnesota. We have all uh, come together to provide the best auction experience now for sellers, bidders, and buyers by uh, joining companies. And um, we're excited about that because uh, obviously uh, through Big Iron's channels and our sales force and all the connections we have with sellers across the country and the same thing that the Sullivan organization are doing with their connections now have uh, some of the best equipment uh, all selling uh, to the general public on our online bidding platforms and everything sells with no reserve and no buyer's fees. So uh, we're excited about that uh, movement together and uh, we're looking forward to a great future with uh, helping people buy and sell equipment. Yeah, two companies with a great history of working across the Corn Belt, well, across the country, Mark, and that's kind of my next question. It it seems like auction, the auction business, has gotten a lot more national since COVID and the rise of online bidding. Do you see online sales as staying with us permanently here into the future? Uh, yeah, I think online sales are here to stay. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's simple and easy for people to be using their smartphone or their mobile device to participate in auctions uh, while they're still uh, planting or harvesting. Uh, I know a lot of people have auto steer put on and they're watching an item sell and uh, they keep bidding on it while the, while the machine's going back and forth, sitting in the line at the elevator, it's the same situation. And uh, so the online thing is very convenient uh, for people. And uh, that's why I think it's got a lot of traction. Mark, as you think about the state of the farm economy right now, you work with farmers all across the country, and you've seen demand just explode over the past two years for a lot of the things you move at the auction. Where do you see that demand being the hottest right now? Is it still on row crop tractors? Are we seeing combines move into the mix here as growers are looking ahead to the fall? You know, Mike, that's a great question. And normally there is something that's uh, uh, usually a little bit more popular than something else. But in the last 18 months, we haven't seen any of that. Everything is popular just because the uh, supply chains are still getting slow. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of that pick up. But, you know, combines, uh, people come running to a sale to buy a good quality low-hour combine. They, they run for these tractors. Uh, they run for planters. They run for cornheads. They're running for semi-trucks. In fact, you know, I'm sure one of the headliners was when the Sullivan auction company just got done selling a, uh, a 2005 pre-emission day cab Peterbilt truck for over $260,000 on a recent online sale. So uh, there's, yeah, there's just a huge demand for uh, equipment, uh, quality equipment that's well cared for. And of course, I, I think one of the reasons why it works so well is uh, when you represent the equipment 
and tell who the owner is. That way those uh, bidders and buyers are comfortable with the process. That certainly makes sense. There's a way to add transparency to a process that, you know, it's online, it's impersonal. Well, it's not. You've got all the details, you've got the facts at hand, and I suppose that makes a difference. It definitely makes a difference uh, because you, you want bidders and buyers comfortable because if they're comfortable, they usually spend more money. And, uh, you know, Big Iron and Sullivan's, that's exactly what we do. We want our bidders and buyers treated honestly and fairly, tell them everything that's good, bad, and, uh, and, and wrong with it. That way they can make a decision on what it is they're going to do with that piece of machinery. People can handle the truth. That is a great point. And I tell you what, the truth is, I'm looking at the big auction site, big iron auction site, and there's a 1984 Alice Chalmers 4W305 four-wheel drive for sale and whew, a little out of my price range, but my goodness, it is neat looking. Mark, we've talked a lot about machinery. Demand is really, really strong. Big Iron, Sullivan, also big in the farmland game. Talk to me about what's developing over there. We're seeing interest rates rise. Are we still seeing a number of acres coming to the market? We're seeing a lot of acres coming to the market, but there's still more buyers than there are sellers. Uh, and I know we talk about interest rates that have creeped up, but we still haven't seen that affect too many uh, sales. A lot of the folks that are coming to the land auctions right now are dealing with cash, Mike. Uh, so whether they are a farmer that's had a good year uh, selling their commodities uh, or whether they're an investor that's uh, reached that 59 and a half and they've taken money out of their 401k. We're seeing a lot of those uh, happening right now. Uh, land has always been a good investment. Uh, some people don't want to go into the stock market because they think there's going to be some volatility there. But uh, land is always there. There's always a, a good uh, farmer or a good tenant in the area that will continue to rent that ground. And uh, the demand is really, really hot right now, even though that we are seeing an uptick in some of the uh, uh, number of auctions that will be taking place here between now and the end of December. Oh, that's a key point. So you're seeing more acres coming onto the market here over the next six months? There are a lot of auctions that are scheduled. I think we've got uh, close to uh, 55 or 60 different auctions uh, for land sales booked right now with uh, several more. Uh, in the queue to be uh, scheduled here between now and the end of this year. Wow, Mark, prices have been crazy at the auction level. Is there any place you have seen sale auction prices bring substantially higher than neighboring ground uh, that's sold recently? Are we still seeing folks just aggressively compete for any of the ground that's coming up for auction? Well, the high price land that we see is usually coming from uh, land sales that is within proximity to a metropolitan area. So they're buying it for future, uh, you know, city growth. But the second wave of land sales that are really capturing a lot of the attention is the high quality uh, land. Uh, anything that's got real good soil types is still top in the market uh, in a big, big way uh, because, you know, that's good soils are like money in the bank. Uh, but the but the folks that are looking to invest in real estate within a mile or two or three miles of an urban uh, growing area, those are where you're seeing these really, really high 50, 60, 70, $85,000 an acre sales. And buyers of those sales, I, I would imagine, given low interest rates and the fact that a lot of ground is being bought by cash, we're seeing investors come back into the farmland space, Mark, or is this mainly farmer buying? Uh, there is a lot of investors bidding. The majority is still uh, being sold in our circumstances to uh, end users, uh, farmers uh, that are, you know, coming to the, expand their operations. Uh, 
uh, you know, a lot of the saying out there and in, in, in a lot of the farming operations, if you're not growing, you're slowing. Uh, so they're, and they're selling their corn there. They did sell their corn for six or seven or even $8 opportunities. They had some real good bean selling price opportunities. And, and even with this new crop corn and bean prices, you know, I know inputs were high, but if they got some of their, uh, uh, commodities sold, they, they already see that they're going to have a little bit of a income flow here at the end of the year to uh, allow them to uh, purchase or, or, or add land to their operations. So we're still seeing farmers that are actively, uh, the, more, the majority that are sales that actively are the end bidders and the winning bidders on these land auctions. Mark, thinking about the overall business uh, uh, health of the economy, I suppose this is a big move for Big Iron. I don't imagine you'd be making this move if you had uh, a lot of concerns about future growth here in agriculture. With this, I mean, are you optimistic about agriculture here as we get through 2022 on into 2023, despite the high input prices and well, the other factors we're contending with as an industry? Well, everybody has to eat. And uh, farmers will get up every morning, regardless of what that input price is, and they're going to go out there and they're going to put their crops in the ground. And uh, I think a far all farmers, and I'm a farmer, I still go out there and, and uh, check pivots in Nebraska. And right now we've been running pivots like crazy because uh, uh, we just haven't been catching any rain. But we're eternal optimists. And uh, we, tr we truly believe that at the end it's all going to work out. And uh, I I'm very optimistic for agriculture. I think that... Uh, the world population is growing. I think uh, we're finding new uses for corn and beans and milo and wheat uh, and oats and barley all the time. You know, the fuel and the fiber source uh, and the food source is uh, going to keep agricultural uh, on the top of everybody's minds here for, for generations and generations. I think you're right about that. It's nice to see somebody putting their money where their mouth is, Mark. Big changes coming to the Big Iron website, or will uh, will this be a seamless transition for folks who are used to making those purchases online? It's going to be very seamless, folks. We're just going to be able to now use all of the bidders and buyers from both organizations to further enhance the uh, uh, marketing uh, for the equipment and land that's being sold on both uh, the Sullivan site uh, and the Big Iron site. Uh, but it'll be seamless. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the, the auctions are all scheduled on both sites, and they're going to continue on as scheduled. Uh, people are calling every day on both, the, both of our companies, and we're listing equipment and scheduling retirement auctions of both land and machinery here as we go into November and December. We've even got some folks talking about getting their auction scheduled here in January and February of next year already. So uh, everything going right along where our companies mirror each other and the way we go to market and the way we do our business with the no buyer's fees, we're selling everything absolute. So we're excited about the future. Excitement about the future, folks. I love to hear that. We've been talking with Mark Stock of Big Iron Auctions. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today and congrats on the, on the new changes there at Big Iron. Hey, thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk weather with Greg Solier from This Week in Agribusiness when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients has held several future of fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The final tour will be in Barrett, Minnesota on Thursday, August 11th, and will feature corn and soy. You don't want to miss this exciting opportunity, and space is limited. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at FertilizerTour.com. That's FertilizerTour.com. Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the fourth segment here for AOA. Folks, we're going to talk weather in just a minute, but something else has been heating up as well. We mentioned it in the first segment with Dwayne Bussey. We had the non-farm payrolls number come out this morning from the government, and payrolls increased 528,000. That means we added 528,000 jobs on a seasonally adjusted basis, and we were expecting, I should say we, economists were expecting to see a gain of 250,000, so more than double what economists were expecting. This harkens back to the comments made on last week's show by Professor Jason Miller about how, yes, this maybe looks like a recession, and certainly when we go out and pay our prices for fuel, it smells like a recession, but there are some things that are happening differently in 2022. One of them is this incredibly strong demand for labor, keeping jobs high, and not only were jobs numbers as a total increased, also average wages grew up again over the last month, and the June payroll numbers were increased as well. They revised those higher. So we are still seeing substantial strength out there in the labor market. Whether it transitions to able to avoid a recession remains to be seen, but we are seeing that job market stay hot. In addition to the jobs market staying hot, we are seeing the forecast heat up here as we head into this weekend. It is going to be a weekend that sells a lot of gold bond, I'm afraid. Greg, heat and humidity, I understand, is underway. Who's going to be feeling the brunt of that heat and humidity today? Hey, Greg, we got you muted there. If you wouldn't mind hitting the mute button. How's that? There we are. Craig, that's much better. What do you see happening on the forecast today? Who's going to get the heat and humidity? Uh, modern technology. Don't you love it? In any event, uh, yeah, it's the Southern Plains again. And to build over the course of the weekend into a good part of the uh, Corn Belt locales, a, a significant and major drop in temperatures. And uh, folks uh, up across our uh, areas of the Dakotas here will experience that for the day today, coming off the 100 to 105 degree heat across South Dakota, parts of North Dakota, my big Sky Country. That is a snappy uh, mid-summertime cold front, ladies and gentlemen, on the move. And it will, with time later on today, generate a pretty good outbreak of shower and thunderstorm activity and matter of fact, schedule over the course of the weekend. But the heat for the who's day. Gonna today, be, uh, who's going to be seeing those thunderstorms, Greg? Once they kick up there in the Dakotas, they're going to flow south southeast across the Corn Belt? 
Yes, exactly. And we'll get kind of a, a number of ripples of disturbances to kind of track along this uh, frontal boundary. We'll get what we call some strengthening upper support, nice upper trough of some jet stream winds to tap into. So I think uh, with time, the likelihood that we generate uh, the likelihood of, of, of some severe weather, first in scattered coverage fashion, and then probably build those rains and scope coverage and intensity out of the Dakotas, build them into the northern and western Corn Belt over the uh, front part of the weekend, over the back end of the weekend, over the eastern through central corn belt and by early next week into the ohio valley more rain unfortunately scheduled for kentucky in that flood ravaged area and more rain where they've had some flooding as well on uh, a couple of days ago southern missouri parts of southern and central illinois so it's another scenario of haves uh, versus have nots uh, there will be some expectation of mike to uh, mike to get some rain into the western corn belt locales so coming out of des moines iowa here uh over there let's see since uh, early july the 8th of july to the 4th of august yesterday des moines iowa not even a quarter inch of rain. So, yeah, some of those central, western, and southern uh, sections of Iowa and west and south from there from a drought monitor standpoint that are worsening. And there should be some categorical improvement coming off recent rains, including Michigan, parts of Illinois, uh, as well as uh, western and central Indiana uh, when we get next week's drought monitor. Greg, in the summer, when we talk about the risk of severe weather here across the, the heartland, obviously hail's a risk, high winds a risk, a risk, and tornadoes are one of the historical risks. But lately, it seems like flash flooding has become more of a concern. You mentioned Illinois, we've seen St. Louis, we've seen Kentucky, saw severe rains over Las Vegas and Lake Mead. As you look at the, the weather setup heading into this next week, is there more potential for severe flash flood events? Yeah, I would think so, and especially where those grounds are overtly wet and saturated. But we, we've talked about, you know, on the TV show, This Week in Agribusiness, literally in some spots going from a drought to a flood. We've seen that through Missouri. We've seen that in a so kind of a, a micro area of Illinois, Central Illinois, and Indiana. And, uh, of course, on a much broader, bigger scope down through Kentucky. So, yeah, once you get those grounds wet, you can put that moisture right back into the atmosphere. Models struggle with that uh, uh, numerical perception. And so, yeah, and it won't take much to get things back into flash flood guidance mode. And we'll see that again through southern Ohio, Kentucky, back through southern Missouri. And not only there, but over the western states. And especially where there's been kind of a breakdown of debris or there's an ongoing lingering vegetation that's been dried out from the drought. Uh, flash flooding, not only from the rains themselves, but if you've already burned out the back 40 or a slope of some type, then you're going to get the runoff and hence we saw that around the Lake Midi area and in around Vegas as well. So kind of a two-pronged approach. Great to see moisture from a you know a long-term standpoint doesn't do much because the vast majority of it gets run right back off. You just sort of repeat this process over and over again over the typical monsoon season, which has been a, bit, a very robust one over the west and southwestern sections of the state uh, or the, the country uh, this summertime season. That that's good to hear. Greg, has the ro or the monsoon been robust enough to, to put a dent in that multi-year drought that's been taking place down there, or is it just a good monsoon relative to past years? Yeah, good monsoon relative to the past years. Again, the vast majority of these rains get run off. You're still dealing with uh, temperatures that generate some fast and high evaporation levels. So you really need to get into the, you know, the, the typical rainy season in the west and southwest. Uh, the rain season calendar begins October 1 and through California. And so you need the more you know systematic uh, features that we see through the heartland, the Midwest, uh, to get the drought improvement going out there. We'll see what happens with a, a weakening La Nina. That's not going to take place until late autumn and into the wintertime. And already some of the maps and charts, if you want to fast forward here, are suggesting a pretty robust and active winter weather pattern over the plains. The 
Oh, shoot. We just lost Greg there. Just lost a disconnection there with Greg. He did mention we are going to continue to see those those rain events over the plains. Always appreciate Greg Solier's contribution and his insight. Greg, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you're you're still listening, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate you making us a part of your day and uh, wanted you to be sure to tune in next week. I will be on location in Omaha at the Ace Ethanol Conference in Omaha, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you're going to be around there, be sure to drop by. I see uh, drop in and see me and uh, we're also going to be talking with Jackie Fatka on Monday's program about what has developed in Washington DC over the recent weeks and folks there is plenty to discuss we'll cover all of that on next week when AOA returns this is Mike Pearson thanks for listening to agriculture of America join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world